Thank you for tuning in to the Educational Leadership Podcast. We are meeting with educational leaders from around the great state of Texas. Hear their stories and gain insights into educational leadership. All right, so we are continuing today's summit, Disruptive Public Education Summit. And before we start this next topic, we do want to give another shout out to our sponsors. We have Wise Pies Media, which is putting out amazing content around public education. We also have the Educational Leadership Podcast that you can listen to on Spotify and many other platforms. They they have, or we have, over 60 episodes uh, talking with superintendents, and board members around the great state of Texas. And lastly, but not least, we want to give a shout out to our other sponsor, Ideal Impact. Ideal Impact's given hundreds of millions of dollars in funding to public education in the form of a free gift. It's zero out of pocket to the district, and it's unrestricted funds. The district can use it for anything, teacher salaries, whatever they may need, and it's recurring revenue that doesn't involve taxpayers. Okay, so today... We have our next speaker from Edna ISD, Superintendent O'Connor. How are you doing today? Good, good. How are y'all today? Doing fabulous. <laughs> well, welcome to our summit. Nice yeah. to meet you. Thank you for the invitation. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. So we will uh, step aside and, and, and let you take the stage here. And, and, and kick off the topic today. You just want to share your topic and let's get the conversation going. Yeah, I, I think uh, one of the things that we had talked about uh, was uh, looking at uh, hiring, recruiting, et cetera, and, and the flexibilities of those things that go into uh, attracting people into uh, education, especially when you're talking about a rural district who already is um, you know, behind the eight ball in terms of funding. You know uh, the way that teach the way that the state funds public schools is you know on a per pupil basis. So the fact that our uh, um, the fact that our um, uh, we have a smaller population to deal with with all of that, um, we have to uh, uh, go through and and look at creative ways to. Uh, uh, be offering benefits and, and attract recruiting to uh, uh, people that are uh, looking to go into teaching. So one of the things that we have able to been able to do because it's, it's we're not going to compete with the larger districts in terms of salary is um, we have been able to do some things with District of Innovation and been able to uh, um, work with some people with certification, some flexibility on that. Um, looked at uh, recruitment of our local kids that come out of college with uh, degrees but are wanting to come home, but maybe that particular degree does not offer them the opportunity to uh, uh, find employment in some of these smaller towns. So alternative certification deals. Uh, we actually really talked to a lot of our former graduates and everything else that come back about ways that they can get into the educational field. We've done a lot with uh, para recruitment and retention, uh, which is another some of uh, uh, another population of our former students that are coming through, um, and they are uh, looking at having to go into the job force a little bit earlier. But we're also working with them to be able to complete the degree while they're working through the school district. So that's been a new program that we've been able to try to enhance that has really paid dividends for us. And we've got probably five or six 
really good ones in the process now of getting their uh, degree and certification. We look forward to that. And that also has been an enhancement in us as a recruiting tool to get people into some of those support staff rule um, pools that we're really trying to grow. And uh, it gives people that maybe don't have some of the uh, revenue and expenses to be able to go through and uh, enroll in school right away, but, but we can help them with that through some of our uh, paratraining. But we also have done a lot with uh, grant writing in terms of um, the same thing with, uh, you know, helping to pay for colleges and doing some uh, dual credit opportunities with uh, students as they're going through and trying to enhance them or entice them into doing some other things. Um, so we've been able to go through and also uh, through some of those grants like ESSA and COVID and whatever else that we were able to uh, find, instead of putting it back into things that were we maybe were not able to keep up with the recurring costs, we used it a lot for, for recruitment and retention bonuses these last two or three years, which I think is really panned out for us well because we for the first time last year we lost like I think a total of nine um, teachers which is the lowest that has happened since I've been here in 10 years and I think part of it has been you know the re recruitment and retention bonuses that we give out around December and May and also it has been a um, uh, the fact that we I think we've done a try to do a lot of things in terms of culture building um, support for new staff when they come in um, as far as mentoring and not just uh, turning them out and telling them to teach, but actually giving them some uh, resources and people that come in to mentor instructional coaches that we've invested in the last couple of years that can come in and help out with some of those things because the teaching business is a difficult job. Um, I think it sometimes gets... Uh, uh, a little bit of uh, uh, reputation as being something easy and an easy degree to get. But I think any people who have actually went in and tried to conduct class for seven and a half hours with 120 kids rotating through and keeping control and then also getting them to uh, be productive, they find out that the job is a lot harder than what they think. And uh, so we need those support systems built in so that we can uh, keep people engaged um, we also, I think, have uh, gone out, you know, in the, uh, you know, when I first got into this business, it was more of uh, you ended up with a teaching position open, and then you'd advertise for that particular position and try to hire somebody. Right now, I've been very fortunate that the board has trusted me to uh, give me some hiring authority starting usually around January, because what we find is the people who are out looking and are experienced they're not looking in May and June or April. They're 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 looking early, and so they give it giving me the flexibility to offer some contracts really early, and uh, get some people signed up and and on the shelf, so to speak. And then what we do is at the end, at the uh, in the summertime, when we figure out who exactly has resigned or had to move on, or because of family reasons or or spouse's job relocation or whatever. Then, then we're able to, with the DOI and the flexibility of certifications, move some people around to best cover those positions as we go. So we've gone out of the one-for-one. One. We end up hiring some people really early and um, taking the chance of getting a few out there because we've ended up getting some really good people 
by doing that and not necessarily looking at it by certification, but looking at hiring a really good certified person. Um, and so what I would say is that that has really been the biggest benefit that we've seen in the last few years. And, and we've been fully staffed for all of this and uh, which in today's times and, and in today's um, um, particular situations that are happening within the state and everything else and the support that I think is waning at times for public education, we're happy with the fact that we're able to do that. Um, the other thing that we've been able to do is uh, we've ended up cultivating a cooperative with the other schools that are in the county. And some of these programs like career and technical education that, that take a lot of resources and you really need a certain number of students to be able to uh, make those things be economically feasible. Uh, we've been able to cooperate with them and, and host different programs in each one of the schools and have the schools agree to transport those kids to those programs. Um, it's allowed us to cultivate within some of the business community. We've been able to do some business grants. We've been able to cooperate and through a foundation that's local to uh, expand some of our shop activities. Um, we're lucky that we have a really strong career and technical ed staff. We also have been able to cooperate with the community college here locally um, through our junior college to offer some dual credit opportunities, but also expand our CTE offerings with um, construction classes, nursing classes, computer classes, and uh, we're actually able to do some AWS certifications, which for a district of only about 1,600 kids, they'd be able to offer those kinds of um, offerings, certifications, and on-the-job training opportunities for kids. We feel very confident and comfortable and and uh, proud of the fact that we're able to um, get those things done. You know, academically, we've been able to solicit through the educational found or at local educational foundation to do some assistance and scholarship with uh, dual credit opportunities, which I think has paid dividends for us in terms of getting kids that maybe would not have had that, that thought process of expanding on their uh, school. They have gone ahead and gone on and gone to college either through in, in Victoria or somewhere else and been able to get a degree or certificate or whatever. And so I think all of those opportunities have, have turned out to be uh, a big situation for us. Um, and, and I think it's been a uh, good calling card. So I think when you put all those things together, I think that's been one of the reasons why Academically, I think we have uh, improved a lot in terms of state account state accountability. Um, we have done a lot with uh, distinctions, designations, um, you know. So um, those things have come come a long way, and I think that that is one of the reasons why I think you know when you talk about public schools, um, there's always a lot of uh, misinformation out there. There's always a lot of places where somebody can come up and, and point to a deficiency in the system. And there's no doubt there are some. But at the same time, I think the, the, the beauty of the public school system is the fact that we end up taking kids from, from all areas, all socioeconomic 
situations, um, maybe even having special needs or special deficits that, that have to be dealt with. And those places have to exist. And so if, if you continue to um, pull resources from those areas that service the large majority of, of students to push resources into areas that are already servicing kids that probably have more resources at their availability than what we're what a lot of times we're dealing with, then then that's where the disparity starts to enter into the equation. You know, um, taxes, we'd all like to say that we we don't pay taxes and we don't want to pay taxes, but you know, taxes is what does roads, hospitals, prisons, school systems, law enforcement. Um, that is a necessary component that goes through there. I, I think the state needs to really look at at uh, the fact that you know school taxes take the wrap, but there's a large portion of the state budget that gets funded off of school taxes under the umbrella of school taxes that uh, um, needs to actually be dealt with, and uh, so that it's not the school that's taking the, the brunt of the consequence for the fact that um, the tax rate. The tax rate really is not going up so much as it is that uh, the uh, valuations have been manipulated to be up in there. So we're looking at all that. So um, those things are parts that we're really looking at improving. Um, I think um, our parents have been very supportive of the things that we've been able to do. And, and I think that that's one of the beauties of a small uh, town school district. I can tell you that Edna ISD is probably probably the largest employer in Edna. And so um, that becomes the big part of the economic backbone in most of these small districts, especially when you start talking rural communities. All you have to do is drive through areas of the nation where those communities have, have lost their school and you're gonna find a community that's significantly less than what it was before that happened. Um, because you're 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 losing people that are college graduates that have kids that maybe necessarily don't live in Edna if they're not working at the school, and uh, I I think that's a big part of what people lo lose track of is that there's a bigger piece to the puzzle than just what's the cost of educating one student. It's the cost really of all the economic development that comes into that community because most people that relocate to a community look at the quality of the school system that's in that area. That is a big part of it. I've served on a lot of economic development councils, a lot of uh, different chambers of commerce. That is a part when you're talking about trying to recruit businesses or whatever into the area, the quality of the school system that they'd be asking their people to move into is a component of that. And I think that people have the right and to choose to do private school or homeschool. I think there are people that do a great job with that option. And there are people that don't do a great job with that option, just like there are public schools that some are better and some are not as good. We have to recognize where, where the deficiencies are and, and work to fix it. And I think that's all part of it. But I don't think you rob Peter to pay Paul if uh, you're already looking at places where you're where you're economically deficient. You know, special education dollars and everything else as far as throughout the state has had a long history of being less than what it needs to be. 
but yet that's one of the biggest pieces that gets us into trouble as far as writing plans of improvement or accountability issues or anything else. But you have to actually put the resources into it to help it. You know, if mental health is a big situation, then we need to do something to try to address counseling, mental health, and whatever. You know, um, socioeconomic, socio-emotional learning was one of those things that got pushed out. It's gotten to be where it's a political football now. But at the same time, there are a lot of kids out there in all of these communities that after COVID and before COVID or whatever, have a lot of emotional needs that need to be met that may or may not be met at home. Um, and we have to be cognizant of that. And we also have to realize that everybody that goes to school here in Edna or any other uh, local, uh, local or rural area, we're not all the same. That's why there's 75 different churches half the time in all these different areas. Uh, everyone's going to have a different idea as to what is their ideal moral foundation. And, and I think that the school is here to teach the basics, to teach the uh, reading, writing, arithmetic, all that, career and technical education. But we're missing the boat if we don't know that there are needs that have to be met within these kids and adults that are involved in the system that emotionally and psychologically have to be met before they can be productive or successful in what they're doing. So uh, whether that's political or not, those are things that we deal with on an everyday basis. And, um, you know, we don't pick and choose what the kid needs to talk about or wants to talk about. What, but most of us are here, whether it's coaches or teachers or administrators or counselors, we're here to meet those needs as they arise and, and try to help those kids navigate their way through the difficult decisions that we all had to make when we're growing up and trying to turn into an adult. And uh, there's a lot of confusing things out there. And when I was growing up, we didn't have the world of social media and cell phones, which then throws a whole nother uh, layer into the, the problem. And, uh, it, all of those things have to be navigated, even when we don't want to. Um, there's a lot of times the school gets pulled into things that we didn't expect or ask to be part of, but that just becomes part of what happens when you're dealing with kids and their emotions and their ability to try to mature and come through that. And I think people have kind of taken some of those issues and made them into things that they aren't. I mean, no one's wanting to indoctrinate kids or anything else, but but kids have thoughts and they have issues, they have problems, they have things that they're working their way through. And I can act like they're not there, but in, in essence, um, those are things that every school system works with. Um, you know, counselor is one of those things that there isn't enough counseling in the whole state I mean, that's why if you go to some of the big cities, we got tent cities under the bridge and people sleeping on the sidewalk. There's a lot of mental health issues. There's not enough mental health resources in the, the whole state, let alone in the schools. And uh, mental health, unfortunately, reaches all the way down into the elementary school. And uh, um, those are things that, that everybody deals with, with or without the resources and with or without the training that goes along with that. Um, none of these people come with an instruction manual. Uh, had a conversation with, with a parent today, you know, and every, every kid is different. 
every kid has a different way that they deal with things and every kid has a different thought process and and we have to change gears and continue to to work our way through those things but you know our public schools are the backbone of a lot of these communities and they're the only resources that some of these um, communities have i mean i know there's a lot of friends of mine that have school systems that actually have health clinics within the within the school they're not only dealing with mental health they're dealing with uh, physical health as well and uh, um, for some of these communities the school is the leading source of resources for whatever that the family and whatever needs i mean if a family has a problem you know a, a fire a tragedy whatever um, most of these school systems are going to band together reach out um, be available to offer resources to people and uh, uh, that's that's kind of become our calling and uh, I think we talk a lot about in Edna about cowboy family and it's more than just a motto I think we actually try to live that on a daily basis and our family's diverse and our family sometimes has problems and sometimes does really well and and that's really across the board with everybody. It's hard to compare a public school to a home school or a private school because there are no controls in terms of uh, who's coming and who's not coming, um, what problems you bring to the table. Um, there's no small sizes to where there's ability to be able to change and do what we want to do within that time frame. Instead, it is a um, situation where, where you have to adapt to what you're given and figure out a way to service all those kids. So within the same classroom, you may have an autistic kid with a behavior issue with a kid that has um, some other emotional needs or a dyslexic kid that really struggles to read. And that teacher's asked to constantly change gears and be work with that to go through there. So I think sometimes when we beat people up about accountability and I hear this deal about you know kids can't read or whatever I would disagree that uh, um, that is the case I think every kid that I've come through at least it goes through Ed and in the school systems that I've been a part of which has been a lot over 33 years I don't think there's too many times that we put a kid out that they cannot do what they need to do to be successful now I can tell you I think we've done a really good job of creating an accountability system that probably a lot of the adults in town would struggle to navigate their way through the STAR test and, and the things that we're trying to test them over. It's not just a straight reading test. So if you're telling me that people can't read based upon STAR scores, I would tend to disagree with you because that's not necessarily the case. And we are always dealing with kids that have issues and and modifications and accommodations that they're given in in their regular class that they're not able to get on the star test and and vice versa and so it's not really comparing an apple to an apple it's more of an apple to an orange and i would just say that if you're going to use that as your main means for um, whether it's good or a bad school or, or whatever i think there's a whole lot more that goes into it than that one-time test and People that are saying, well, the public schools are failing, um, you know, there are failing businesses, there are failing uh, charter schools, there are failing private schools, and there are failing public schools. But I don't think the system as a whole 
is a failure. In fact, I would strongly disagree with that. And I think they're, the numbers speak for themselves in terms of the quality of students that's, that Texas is putting out has gone on to A&M or Harvard or the military academies or something else. I think if it's a failure, you don't ever get to that point. Um, I do think that there are issues in any aspect of society. And, but I said, you know, I, I think that those few things that you pick out to try to use as a, as a excuse for why you think you don't need to fund um, the public school system, I think is a fallacy. Because I think the public school system does a huge um, component and a huge uh, benefit to society and these little communities as a whole. There's a reason why it was written into the state constitution, into the national constitution that we would have a public school system because they knew that some people would not have the means to educate their kids at home or send them to a paid for uh, school district. That doesn't mean that you don't have that option to do that. Just like when I go out to buy a car, I can buy a Chevrolet or I can buy a Mercedes. They cost different money. They both get me where I'm going. But one of them has a little bit more luxury and I'm able to pick out what I want to have in there and what I don't want to have in there. But it's one of those deals that I think that regardless of, of how you look at it, um, there are costs associated with doing any of these things. It's a heavy lift to take human beings and try to make them into productive citizens and at the same time teach them all the basics of reading, writing, science, the arts, all those things that they go through and do that. There's an expense associated with that, you know, uh, a whole different expense than what you would see with, say, a homeschool situation, which I'm not against that. I just think it's comparing an apple to an orange and you can't talk about what's going on with those things. I think all of us have choices as to what we're going to do. So we have a choice as to what job uh, profession we go into, all those things. Life is full of choices. But some of these things like hospitals, roads, law enforcement, first responders, public schools, whatever. I think they're important enough services to the communities that they serve that that's why they are written in as a component that, that the state's going to fund. And I think if we really sit back and, and recall our civics lessons that we all learned when we went through school, those are the things that we're looking for and those are the things that we're trying to get done. So. Um, I think that's been a uh, big component of kind of what we're doing. Um, it's unfortunate where we find ourselves now. Um, you know, I, I do think that, you know, in terms of Texas and the people that have looked at vouchers, you know, vouchers are not some magical secondary uh, uh, fund source somewhere. It, it has to come from something. The state budget is what it is. It's a balanced budget every year. So if you're going to pull out X number of dollars, it has to come from some other program. Now, I would love to say that it's that, well, it's the students coming out of the public school that are now going to be funded um, through vouchers. But that's not the case. If you look at almost every voucher program across the country, the majority of people who take advantage of the vouchers were the kids that were not in public schools to begin with. They are already in the, in the other system, and all you're doing is supplementing their enrollment, which for some people, they think there's nothing wrong with that. The problem is you're taking away resources that were already like in the bottom 
six or seven states in the union in terms of funding of school systems, and you're going to make it less. Um, teachers do a, a big job every year for, for not a lot of money. And there's, and there's a lot of stressors involved with it. And I think we contribute to that stress when we can continually fight over the money. But I've been in three different states in terms of the education business. Every state government, 50 plus percent of the budget is public education. And so why does that happen? And why do people come after that money? Because it's there and it is the biggest piece of pie in terms of the state budget. So there's a lot of eyeballs that are always on that because it is a, a you know, most things in the free enterprise world come down to money. And so um, whenever there's a grant that comes out, I get a thousand vendors that are going to call me about that specific thing that I need to address the grant or the new law that came out. It's the same thing. If you're talking about being able to peel away big layers of the public education uh, budget, then you're talking huge amounts of money. And, and this the sad thing about it is that our system is built completely on accountability. We have to do computer submissions on academics and financials and everything else that justify every dollar that we're given. But we're gonna talk about having no accountability tied to the voucher system. And the system in other states has been ripe with fraud and uh, had lost a lots of different money. But I don't think in the world that we live in now, and we want to talk about being conservative and conservatism and being frugal with our money. I don't know how you can talk in the same light about more or less creating a system that has no accountability built into it. I don't see the conservative part of that. And you're talking about a, a uh, matching it against a system that's already underfunded. You can tell that by the ranking of school funding and the ranking of our teacher salary. So, you know, we've we've talked about this a lot. We we've fought about it. Uh, the legislature's defeated it a couple of times, but for whatever reason, we keep bringing it back. And you know, I think the reason is pretty plain. There's a lot of people with a lot of money that are pushing that as as the option to go to. But um, I think that we really have to look look very deeply at ourselves and what we're trying to accomplish and who exactly is this going to benefit? Because if we're trying to benefit society as a whole and take care of those that need the help, then we don't need to take resources away from school districts that are under underfunded. Most schools that fall into that quote unquote failing category and not performing are in communities of huge poverty and low SES and under-resourced and underdeveloped. And so, you know, are you throwing money, good money after bad? That's yet to be proven because most of those places have never had resources poured into them. Um, it's been my finding that most kids are very capable of learning and very capable of doing what they're asked to do if they're given an equal playing field and if they're given the resources that they need. Most of them that have a deficit, it's an experience deficit. It's a vocabulary deficit. It's what they came to school with in terms of differences and can they fill that deficit in in the time frame that they're able to do and still keep up with the, 
the state's version of what their curriculum is supposed to look like. That's been the problem is that they come with a deficit and we're trying to fill the deficit at the same time, meeting the, the stringent, fast-paced accountability of the curriculum needing to be taught at that grade level. So it makes for um, a difficult situation. But all kids can learn, all kids do learn, all kids are doing, for the most part, a, a good job. But there are definitely some differences. There are definitely some, some districts that, that have more than others, and there's some areas that have more resources than other areas. And, and anybody who says those resources don't make a difference, all you have to do is go across the state and track uh, performance, and I guarantee you there's a reason why the places that have high resources also have high performance rates. And so they are tied together. There is some things and, and it does make a difference. Um, and uh, I think that's well documented. All you have to do is look at the money that was poured in after COVID. We had the big COVID slump when everybody was not in school and doing remote. The federal government poured a bunch of money into COVID. We did tutorials. We hired extra people to tutor. We hired extra people for resources. The scores jumped tremendously. So I don't think that anybody that really looks at the numbers can say that it, that doesn't make a difference. And vice versa, when you take resources away, then you're going to lose performance. There's no doubt about that. We're already operating in a system that makes it difficult to hire people because they don't feel like they're appreciated and they don't feel like they're resourced well enough to be successful. And if you're gonna hold them accountable, then, then give them the tools that they need to try to reach that success rate of accountability. And, and that, that would be the biggest piece that I would say about all of that. All right. Thank you, Superintendent O'Connor. That was a, that was a lot of great information around your topic. Uh, Corinne, anything you want to add on your side? Yeah, well, with so many things. I mean, you touched on so many things that are important to me. As a, I was in a small, very small district as a trustee. You, one thing you mentioned, like social emotional learning, as a political football, and you, I, and I think that's just we. We tend to pick things, I think, to make political when they really shouldn't be. And I wish we didn't do that. I wish we could just all see our students as we're all here to work together for our students. But um, and so I'm, I'm I, yeah, I'd love to like, did you did you see that as being something 20 years ago we would be discussing? And I think what I mean by that is I'm trying to think of what's the next thing that we need to be prepared for vouchers for sure um teachers the turnover rate i mean there's so many things we need to be on the horizon right now but did you see that the, the, the social emotional learning would be something that would be a political football like 20 years ago did we miss the warning sign that people would be fighting over this today and then uh, maybe a secondary question is like what do we need to be prepared for in the future so that we can not have these things divide us in public ed yeah, you know, and and 
uh, you know, this is just my opinion, but, you know, social emotional learning really came about or got to be a, a hotter and heavier subject. And, and it was actually mandated that we start looking at trying to address those issues. And it happened after, after the COVID and we were all shut down and the mm -hmm. suicide, suicide rate for kids went through the roof. And so we actually had a momentary, uh, place in time where we actually made decisions that were good for kids. You know, let's mm -hmm. see if we can't address these kids, tell them that it's okay to think what they think, to be who they are and to do the things that they need to do. Because when they were um, by themselves and, and solo uh, out there in the world of, of remote learning, it's difficult for people who are actually social in nature. And so mm -hmm. when we came back, then a lot of this information and programs and curriculum was sold to us. But then as we got into it, and, and it really played itself out this year in the legislature, then it got more about, well, are we teaching kids that it's okay to be gay or that it's okay about transgenders or that it's okay to have two moms or two dads? And that's what it turned into more than when I say a political football because now if I say anything about social emotional learning, people are going to, first thing they're going to say is, oh, well, that's some woke propaganda, mm -hmm. propaganda stuff. No, and in reality, where do we talk to kids about their feelings and what they're, because not all of them go home and talk to people. And I, I'm not saying that's a bad parenting. I raised three kids myself. I don't know that they came to me with all of this. <laughs> Issues right. They had, they had other people and mentors that that they worked with, and and so giving somebody something to be able to talk to kids about. Yes, it is okay. Some kids are different. I'm sure there's a lot of people think I'm a very different person than than other people, and you know sometimes you're liked and sometimes you're not liked, and and you know the whole thing about bullying. Bullying is pointing out places where people are different than the kids who were in the popular part. And then they pick at that area over and over again. And it becomes difficult now, you know, that's why we talk about counseling and mandatory counseling and then clergy and the school and everything else. But, you know, the problem is every time we come up with a program that we put out there to try to help kids to make um, good decisions or to help them through the process of growing up, somebody's going to come back and have something negative to say about it because that's not in their value system. You know, I had some people, a parent the other day, talked to me about, we're talking to little kids about what makes you sad, what makes you happy, what makes you this. It's just a one of the SEL things that we do as a component out of, with the PE class. And, and they didn't like it because it was called SEL. And, uh, you know, we're mandated to do it, but then we've done such a bad job of calling everything that we do in terms of trying to help kids woke or indoctrination that now it becomes difficult to be able to do those things. And I, to me, that's when, you know, we politicize the whole thing about um, dealing with kids' differences, dealing with kids' problems, um, dealing with kids' mental uh, situations. Mm -hmm. I saw, seems. oh, go ahead. Well, I saw a, a meme the other day that said, like, um, if I'm going to indoctrinate your students, I'm going to have them wear deodorant and do their homework. <laughs> and I, I love the simplicity of that, like, from a teacher 
then yeah. your ne your next door school like what we really really just want kids to like shower <laughs> um if you have water and water right like there's an assumption there that like they may have all that but for the average student or maybe the you know just like please just do your homework <laughs> please well, bring your please just um please be kind you know and i, th I think yeah. that's um we we i feel like in a way we missed out on an opportunity and i hope conversations like this with our our podcast and the summit and other conversations that leaders can have that we get back to this idea that that it was not a great time in history. I, I didn't like it at all in COVID. I and and we then we know that students need and benefit from interaction with leaders and people that love them. That's just that's something that we all know. And so what what can we learn moving forward? Because we know that kids need love and when they need to be educated. And then I think of Gary and your business connection of like, but then they're going to have a job. So what are we doing to make them, what, what are we doing with public ed to make them be prepared for their next step once they leave us? And I think that's the, where we all can come together and keep having this dialogue. How can we take what we know from the past and do what we do what we know best and, and keep keep going forward. You also mentioned that you had good um, turnover rate. You're, you didn't have a high turnover rate with your teachers. And so I uh, commend you for that because so many districts can't say that. And so good job on that. You mentioned, and another thing you mentioned, cowboy family. Um, I love that. Do you want to talk a little bit more? Well, first let's check and see if there's questions. So if there's not any question, will you talk a little bit more about that cowboy culture? Yeah, you know, um, I've been here now ten years, and 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 I really think that, uh, uh, and and when I first got here, there were some identified, you know, issues in terms of of academics and some accountability um, problems, and and just what I call culture problems as a whole. And I I really think that as a leader, um, you know, I'm not. I don't teach very many kids. I don't go out there and, and, you know, serve the lunches on a daily basis. So what do you do to contribute to the success of, of the program? And, and, and I think the biggest thing when we got here and when I talked to the leadership team was that we were going to redo our brand and, and we were going to change the culture and we were going to talk positively about the things that we do accent the things that we do well, acknowledge the things that we need to change and get and improve and and talk about becoming a cowboy family because there was a lot of what I call infighting and things that first happened and, and with any any system, I don't care if it's a business or a, um, you know a hospital or whatever, if people don't feel supported and they don't feel like there's a common direction, then before you know it, we're all climbing over each other to get to what we're wanting to get to. And so I think the cowboy family piece, and we put it on all of our emails, what we push out in terms of propaganda, uh, what our um, social media feed, we, we, we do a lot of things with cowboy up, cowboy family. Um, it, it's kind of a thing that we like to talk about that I'm happy when you're successful and therefore I hope that you're happy when I'm successful. And, and if we're both successful, then guess what? The organization is successful. And, and I think that that's kind of fed upon itself. And like I said, with the retention bonuses and trying to time it out at Christmas, doing some things, the board has been very supportive. 
Um, you know, anytime we do an in-service, we, we feed everybody, get together. Not so much this about eating. It's about fellowship and, and being around each other in a different circumstance. Because when the kids are there and we're in school, it's a hectic pace and, and things are flying at you all the time. And so to be able to sit around your colleagues and have a simple adult conversation and enjoy something and 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 talk uh, positively about the direction of the system and things that we could do better, I think has really gone a long way towards creating a little pride in, in the system. And, and, I, and I say that for the kids too. I think success breeds success. And uh, when the kids are successful, the, te the, kid, the teachers feel good, the, the community feels good. We really have a good positive deal. Now, the problem with that is that it only takes one bad negative situation to happen to, to really pop that balloon for a while. And it'll take you a while to put air back in it again. But um, luckily, knock on wood, um, we've been able to do a few things right here lately and celebrate those successes. And I think everybody likes to see good things about their kids. And so it creates that culture, I believe. Love it. Love it. Now, this is awesome. You know, I, I've been saying this all day with these, with the different speakers we've had on. Everybody's covering a different topic. Everybody's covering a different perspective. But I think all of these things combined really, really create something special. You know, if we can pick up some little nuggets, um, whether mm -hmm. it be those that are listening live or, or if you're listening to the recording right now, hopefully you're, you're, you know, even if you don't agree with everything, right? So not everyone is going to agree with everything, but you can still hear a different perspective and uh, expand your horizon a little bit. So, um, and that could be for, for any of the topics, right? Um, so, so very interesting topic. So anything else, uh, Superintendent O'Connor, that you want to expand on uh, that you've covered today? Uh, no, I mean, I, I do think that um, uh, I, I do a lot of things on social media as, as cowboy superintendent, and, and I read a lot of things about uh, things that are going on around there. And I, and I do think that, like I said, I've been in three different states. I've been a lot, lot, probably 14 different school districts. Every community is different. They have their own unique um, personality. They have their own unique values that they really want to push and, and go through. And I think part of being a successful school system is realizing what those things are and then looking to address and 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 actually mesh into that. And so I I think that's why a lot of people are so passionate about the public school system is that for a lot of these smaller towns, you know, it's different if you're in Austin or Dallas or Houston. It'd be not that they don't have public school pride or anything else but if you're living way out in the woods so to speak or where there are no woods it's just straight prairie um, community and civic pride and, and specifically school pride is huge I've lived in some very small towns that we were 90 miles from the nearest Walmart you know yeah. so it is one of those things that the school was the sole source of entertainment for that town. If we were putting on a play or a musical or a concert or a game, everybody that was able to walk, ride, or 
catch a ride there was at those activities. And, and I think we can very quickly lose track of how important some of these places are. And, and I think it's sad when you drive through some of these really rural areas that lost their school system and you find that economically they just begin to wither away. And uh, I think that's, uh, uh, I think we, we, we will lose sight of a very valuable piece because you lose economic capability when you do that because your college educated people and some of those other ones will now all of a sudden move and leave town. The only ones still there are the ones that had land in that area. And uh, that that's not a good economic situation and, and the viability of those communities is diminished. Yeah, you, you brought up a good point about values, right? So, and and this is just, I guess, my ignorance, right? So do, do school districts put out statements on what their values are. And the reason why I'm thinking about this is, um, well, obviously there's a, there's a lot of conversation around that right now. Just like, you know, what do they stand for outside of, you know, math, science, and social studies, right? You know, what are the, what are the values? I, I heard, you know, somebody say at one time, Hey, and this was just an extreme version, right? Uh, if, if my student, if their teacher is, uh, you know, if their teacher is extremely overweight, they're communicating a message that they don't care about health, right? And then there's a there's other conversations that are said outside of you know your typical academic. Some things that some values that are communicated, maybe they're they're nonverbal or they're or sometimes verbally. I know when I was getting my MBA, I had a professor had nothing to do with with um, with the class. They just happened. He just happened to make a comment about a certain presidential candidate at the time, and it's like, well, why are you, why are you even mentioning this? So sometimes things get said that are you know not part of the curriculum, or things are communicated non-verbally through expressions or whatever. But it, are there values that that school districts put out? Say, look, this is what we stand for. Outside of the you know, this is. I'm just kind of curious around that. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I would say that, you know, and actually, I think within our, our uh, communication brochures, we, we talk about some of the values that, that we really want to accent. But I, I think the biggest places where it's evident is in your like vision and mission statement that you come through. And the, those are created through the board, which are locally, you know, elected people that represent um, your community. But I think that that is a very important piece of, of the process. And I think what the board has to has to realize is that even though I'm an individual board member that may be a Methodist or a Catholic or a whatever, I also am representing parents that have children that are neither one of those. And they may be something totally different than that, Muslim, atheist, whatever. We have to be careful that, that our values are, are holistic enough that we are not exclusionary for anybody else that that's there, I think that's the beauty of the of the public school system is that we are there, hopefully, to to nurture you and to educate you. But you know that's why it's very frustrating and and ironic, I think, to be talking about teachers indoctrinating kids because in essence, what what they do is they care for kids, they nurture kids, they educate kids. And they're going to continue to do that, even though they get beat over the head with a stick as far as not doing what 
some people in 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 the legislature think or or want to politicize things that are out there. But I think for the most part, the system is built upon around the fact that you have an elected board that is representative of that community that hires and fires the superintendent that sets the direction and approves the curriculum. What more local control can you ask for than that's what's going on? Those mm -hmm. people get elected or they don't get elected based upon how good a job they do and what their values and what they how they communicate those values to their constituents. I think it is the epitome of what we would say is the American uh, system. And so to take and put it into places where those boards are not representative of the community, they are not accountable to the community, they are not elected by the community, I would almost say is, is not as American as what we're doing here. Is it a perfect system? No. That's why we have politicians that we have now. We can all pick out one that or two that we don't like or we could make fun of or we don't, but somebody voted for them. Somebody put them in there. And so that is the part of the system. And when, when they finally do enough things that the majority of people are, are fed up with what's going on, then we have a change. And it's the same thing if you watch school boards, that's why you know, superintendents go up and down, they're fired, they're listed on the other deal. The community has reacted to something that has happened within that system and decided that it's time to make a change. And so it, it's very ironic for it to be talking about indoctrination or anything else, because I would personally think that the community is more than capable of policing what's going on with its children and with its uh, educational system, and that they don't need Big Brother in Austin telling them how they should be doing something. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's such a great point. That that's such a great point that you know everybody has the opportunity in their community to get involved as much as you know if if they have an issue they can get involved they can you know get involved whether that be through the school board or you know working for the district or whatever it may be. So that's. That's a really good point. Yeah, I was I, I was curious about that because that it seems like that topic has come up. You know, earlier earlier we had a speaker that was more focused like on character development, which was really interesting, and because there's a lot of little nuances it seems like that goes into the development of a of a student and you know future you know model citizen uh, in a society than uh, than the just the academics. So that that's really uh, that's really great that you shared that. Um, Okay, well, we got a few minutes left. Anything else besides before we close out today's uh, presentation or discussion? No, sir. I think probably they've heard more than enough. Uh, <laughs> well, I I loved it. I'm I, I'm thankful for your leadership. I, your perspective is important, and the culture you shared about with your district, and uh, we we really appreciate this. I know our listeners are enjoying all the different perspectives and. I'm thankful for superintendents. I mentioned the, with the guests before this, that superintendents are among my favorite people on the planet, my best and favorite leaders. And so uh, when I'm struggling and I think of what I want to, when I can't figure out something, I'm thinking, who am I going to call? And I, well, the superintendent that I served with prior um, is the, in all superintendents, I, I feel like y'all know how to solve problems and, and get to the root of things faster than almost any other leader. So thank you for your service and your dedication to our students. Well, thank you all for the opportunity and uh, thank you for doing something like this because I, I think right now we, we don't do enough in terms of, of uh, communicating and discussing 
-hmm. what's going on. And if we're not careful, um, then we're depending upon um, misinformation that's getting propagated mm -hmm. out there. So sure. this is a good situation and, and, a, and a good program. And, and all of us appreciate that you are pushing this out. Mm. Thanks. It's lots of fun. Yes, we appreciate y'all as well. All righty. Thank you, Superintendent O'Connor. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Good.